2: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. What will the city look like when the Bears make
1: the playoffs? <laughs> I'm just playing. Just, like how far in the future? Just, are we going to have like <laughs> flying cars by then? Is that kind of the vibe we're talking I just, about? I just like that like, you know,
2: you can open up the break however you want. You know what I'm saying? Like you could just say literally whatever you want. Uh-huh. Justin Fields, no longer in Chicago. He's not. He's in L.A. That's where they left. They left already. You can just do whatever you want here, and this is great. Uh, but it is Anthony Heron. It is Gabriel Ramirez, and we do get to talk about the Bears. And I wanna I wanna settle in on the defensive side of the ball, and and I do wanna talk about, you know, what what can be realistic for this Bears team. Like I know a couple weeks ago when the Bears had those two games against Denver and Washington, people really were out here thinking the Bears had a chance to win a, you know, a really large handful of games. And then you see how the Bears won on Sunday. And you think to yourself, eh, okay, that's a recipe. You know, mm-hmm. that that's a recipe you should keep in the book and and go back to often. And then when you look at the opponents that they have coming up and you're like, Yeah, you know, Justin Fields, decent quarterback, you know, Bears got a good running game, defense looks good. Like they could pull off some victory. Like, it wouldn't be surprising if the Bears ended up with a handful of victories.
1: I couldn't agree more. Now, you know, there there's a delicate balance, I feel like, for where the Bears are at where Justin Fields is at because, I mean, the dude dislocated his thumb, popped it back into place by himself on his throwing hand. So yeah, I I don't expect to see him for you – know, we already know it's not going to be this weekend. I I would not be shocked at all if it's a couple of more games because, you know, it, it's an important stretch for, for him individually in trying to – sort of solidify something in his career. and It's an important stretch for the Bears to be able to adequately evaluate him in what he can become, what he can try to solidify as a quarterback in this league. So to have him go out there, you know, barely being able to grip the ball and say, all right, grip it and rip it just so well, I can't grip it, so how can I rip it with football? Like, <laughs> ripping it <into laughs> even my thing yet, so how am I supposed to grip it and rip it? So I think that, especially now that you've seen that th- there is a version of offense that you can be productive with with Tyson Bagent at quarterback – then there's no reason to rush Justin Fields. You know, you can continue to get more run for Bajen and see if you know if he continues to ascend. And there's no reason to put a cap or put a ceiling on him right now. But in the least, if he can solidify himself as saying that, yeah, this is a guy who definitively has shown himself where he can be a competent backup. And who knows? You know, if he starts showing even more, where maybe he's a guy who could be evaluated as a starter. I'm, I'm certainly nowhere near there yet as far as, you know, thinking he might be the long-term starter answer for the Bears, but he's at least shown competency enough through one career start to say, yeah, th- this is worthy of continuing to look at for a while here while Justin's throwing hand continues to get healthy because that's that's key for him moving forward. It might be a little bit different if it was like, alright, Bears are in the playoff hunt here, or Justin's already got an MVP in his back pocket, he's already got his second deal, but he's still in the evaluation phase of things with his career, so I think It'd be different if it were Justin's back is bothering him or Justin's non-throwing hand is messed up or Justin's got a soft tissue injury. Justin's thumb is not working, is not functional on his throwing hand. He needs to keep sitting down until the thumb on his throwing hand is functional. That'll make more sense for him. It'll make more sense for the Bears. And then in the midst of that, what I would love to see is if we see consistency from Luke Getzey, that that is the name I mentioned to you almost every time we talk bears, every time we talk bears offense because I would say three out of the last four games we've seen a game plan that looks creative, looks fluid, looks rhythmic, looks like a guy who looks like a guy who knows how to keep the opposing defense off balance to to force them into situations of conflict to utilize. Movement of the pocket where the launch point isn't stagnant like it was again against the Vikings to utilize misdirection in the backfield, both with the run game and the pass game to force defenders to try and honor. Where they should either follow a defender who's running side, or follow an offensive player running sideways, or to stick with the quarterback and see where he's going to deliver the football, or I don't know who's got it. Who did he hand it to? Because this guy's running over here, and that guy's running over there, and oh no, here's Tevin Jenkins coming to pancake me. Now Deontay Foreman stepping in my chest. He he's done an effective job three out of the last four games of putting the opposing defense in conflict through misdirection, through varying of tempos, through movement of the launch point. For some reason against Minnesota, Luke Getzey went away from that. Especially in the passing attack, Luke Getzey went to a more stagnant pocket. And I don't understand why. You know, I got fishy business, even ran the numbers on it. Kevin Fishbane in the athletic showcased in the last two games against Denver and Washington, Chicago and Justin Fields were extremely effective on the move, throwing the ball outside the pocket. And then it was non-existent against the Vikings. I don't know exactly what the numbers in versus out of the pocket were the other day, um, uh, against the Raiders, but you did see movement and misdirection. That We, we have plenty of tangible evidence now that that's what suit th- suits this Bears offense. It suits either quarterback. It suits their offensive line. It allows more running games to be open, running lanes to be open to the running backs via the creativity that Luke Getzey has thrown at the opponents in three out of the last four games. From a sample size perspective, by comparison, the two out of those three games where Justin Fields was the quarterback – There were eight touchdown passes in those games. There's well over 600 passing yards in those games against Denver and Washington. Again, Tyson Bajan, one career start. So I'm not saying he should be judged by the same standard as Justin Fields. But what I am pointing out to people is that Tyson Bajan is not yet the quarterback that Justin Fields is. The offense is far more explosive with Justin Fields at quarterback than it is with Tyson Bajan. That doesn't need to be perceived as a shot at Tyson Bajan. That's just what the tangible evidence obviously shows. And to me, it's three out of the last four games where Luke Getzey has put the offense in a position where they're less predictable, where the pocket is less predictable, where the run game is less predictable, where the motions are less predictable. I would like to see that offense continue with Bajan at QB up until Justin Fields is healthy enough to come back. And then I hope that version of the Bears offense is what we continue to see from there.
2: Yeah, we do get the opportunity to see different styles of offense. And we have over the last couple of games, like what Lou Getze can be capable of calling, like what can that offense look like? And you're right. I mean, we saw some explosive, explosive moments with Justin Fields. We know Tyson Bajan was operating a certain offense. And you do want to be able to see what it can look like, like when Justin's running it at a high level, and you know, because I think that's what we all want—that evaluation. But but and we can't help ourselves, right? In the in the present, you're watching Tyson Bay that way, and we yeah. don't know because we don't know what to do. We're like, what are we like? Everybody's excited. Like, what are we excited about? Like, uh, because we got a backup quarterback. Well, that's not exciting. So so what? How am I watching this game? And I think that's something that a lot of people are struggling with. They don't know how to watch these games. Or what? Like no one can just watch it for what it is. Like a, a bunch of teams in a blue jersey that play for Chicago, and a bunch of teams in a white jersey that play for LA. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it has to be this uh, n- another storyline that must exist. It's very all or nothing.
1: Yeah, the way we view a lot of things these days. Like either either something is the most amazing thing that we've ever seen, and we can't wait to watch it flourish. And the other thing is trash, and it's garbage, and we're we done looking at it. We're sick of it. And it, it is the two extremes. It is very all, or it is very nothing. And we're I'm using the collective we, of course, uh, for, for those of us. just the collective sports viewership is, is not really in a position to just sort of sit and watch and look and evaluate and wait. You know, it's like if if you got it, you better show it right away. And if you're not showing it right away, then it's an issue. And if you show a little bit of it, then somebody else comes in and they're looking different. Oh, different is good, because we've been looking at you for a couple of years now. Can't wait to have something different. I was talking to you about the the sort of two opposing ends of things, the the two bookends. And you know, the Jalen Johnson bookend was one thing we talked about a bit earlier in the show, but the quarterback bookends there. I found that really, really intriguing just by the fact that Brian Hoyer was one of those guys when he was the Bears' backup quarterback towards the end of Jay Cutler's time here in Chicago where Brian Hoyer would put a, a good game or two together. And Brian Hoyer is trending on Twitter for how great, how rhythmic the Bears' passing offense looked by comparison to Jay Cutler because everybody was tired of looking at Jay Cutler. Credit to Brian Hoyer, man. Fifteen years in the league, tens of millions of dollars made. Good quarterback. Good quarterback. Nobody's ever should have confused him with being the answer or the future for the Bears at QB. Matt Barkley trending on Twitter at different points. Jimmy Clausen, look at that pass he just completed on third down. He's different than Jay Cutler. We've seen this before. That being said, doesn't mean Justin has proven that he is the answer at QB. But I'm still in the camp of those who believe that there is a there is more than enough time remaining for Justin Fields to still showcase what we saw a couple of games in a row against Denver, against Washington, like if if that's in him and it's with even even without the legs, you know, we we didn't see him running for a hundred yards against those guys. Like by comparison, last season, when this offense started averaging 30 points a game, it was largely due to Justin Fields' legs being a huge part of things. It's back to back games where he showed special ability as a passer. That to me, like the attack portion of this passing attack and what can happen with DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney down the field, that that is worthy of continuing to evaluate to see if they can access it. And if by the end of the season, Ryan Poles feels like, no, just haven't seen enough, then I think that's a, a fair period of time to, to say that either they're going to look to move on or they're going to draft somebody else and keep Justin here for the competition so you have depth at the position for next season. There's a lot of different options the Bears can still go with this thing that don't necessarily involve having to to make a final decision on it by this Sunday night.
2: And I think that's the key is that, you know, they don't. But I, I'm curious about this, Ant. Like, let's say Tyson Bajan plays this week, and then who do, the, who do the Bears play the week after that? It's the Chargers, and then uh, – look that up for me, Tyler. Uh, I got Tyler. You. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a quick yeah. look so, here. So let's uh, say it's uh, – oh, I think it's – Saints. Uh, Saints. At the Saints. Oh, man. Okay, so two, de- you know, decent teams – let's say he he plays above average right where like he doesn't turn over the ball mm. he's not blowing you away he's not throwing for 250 but he's still in that like 180 to 210 range not turning the ball over and then you know let's just say he's not even winning let's say that you know he's just he's within a score at the end of every game right mm. and then justin comes back in how many duds does justin have to have before they consider taking him out like or is it just you, you got duds, You're we're going to be riding with this dud till the end of the season. Like, Or can there be a situation where Tyson was playing okay and then Justin comes in, duds it up, and then they're like, nah, bro.
1: Yeah, no, there, there's definitely that scenario there. It's just, you know, I don't think seven games in the season were there yet, but there's 10 games to go. So depending on how many of these games coming up that Justin Fields would miss and Tyson Bagent starts and looks competent back there, then yeah that, that scenario is is more than plausible how many it is i think it just kind of depends like how how duddish is justin fields looking out there you know is it a, is it offense is putting up six points is it a passing attack that's back to you know 80 90 110 yards a game or something like that um, or is it a denver style game where yeah the bears lose but the the passing offense is is lighting things up you just didn't get enough defense or the team didn't finish strong enough or something like that. So I think there's various versions of this where it's not the Bears are in a playoff hunt, but that still you can evaluate what Justin Fields is doing at the position and saying, well, yeah, I mean, he's kind of getting the job done. He's doing his task, but the team as a whole is necessarily rallying around him because I think it's a big assumption to think that the version of what was seen against the Raiders at Soldier Field this past Sunday with dominant rushing attack, all kinds of yards after the catch, because there was a historically low air yards per attempt from Tyson Bajant, but you just had backs and receivers making all kinds of plays after the catch and getting the ball near the end zone and in the end zone. All those things were equating to big-time offensive success, and then also you had a Bears defense that was completely shutting down the opponent. And so – There was never a point where the Bears felt in jeopardy. They weren't trailing in the game. They certainly weren't trailing by multiple scores, as we saw pretty frequently early in the season. So all those things coalesced to make a very comfortable sort of nesting bed for Tyson Bajan, and that's good. That's a great position that they put a rookie in his first start in, but it would be a big assumption to think that that level of dominance will be seen from the Bears, from the other periphery pieces of the Bears, beyond the quarterback, week in and week out. If it's there, then hell, man, keep rolling with Tyson Bagent and the Dink and Dunk passing attack. But that's a that would be a big expectation because we've been watching this crew for a little while now, yeah. and all those other positions dominating at that level with no pass rush. I think that's a that's probably a that's a bridge too far for me to think we're going to see that every week.
2: And that's what we were talking about earlier, Ant, where it's like you know everything has to go. We've been saying that about the Bears. Like if the Bears are going to win, everything has to go right. Yeah. And that's the only way they're going to win. If they 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 are not built to overcome adversity in real time and come back from 14, 17 points. It's just they don't have the defense to withstand it and shut down the team. Even though if the Bears didn't allow that last touchdown in the fourth quarter, they would have they would have had six quarters
1: without allowing a touchdown and that is something that we hadn't seen in quite some time. Well, Um, B's a healthy man. Yeah. You got a healthy secondary, and they're really talented back. There's still no Eddie Jackson yet, but I mean between Jalen Johnson, of course, and and I I think Tyreek Stevenson, he started off a little bit passive in coverage early in the game and then really started to step his game up and play with more aggression after a few initial one-on-one matchups with Devontae Adams where he looked uncertain and was giving him a whole lot of space. He started to invade the personal space of Devontae Adams as the game wore on. So you have both corners on the outside. Kyler Gordon doing exceptional things in that nickel slot corner position. And they ask him to do a lot, man. They move him around everywhere. The DBs blitz better than the linebackers or the D-line do, let alone what they're able to do in coverage. And then, of course, you got the enforcer on the back end in Jaquan Brisker. There's just a lot to be really excited about with with a healthy Bears secondary and what that can allow them to do with the front seven. Well,
2: the secondary is most certainly going to have their hands full on Sunday when the Bears take on the Los Angeles Chargers. And we could talk to a a gentleman who's going to let us know whether or not the 2-5 and record is indicative of how good this team actually is. Ryan DiRude, host of Believe in L.A. Football, joins us next to talk about the Chargers. It's Gabe Ramirez. It's Anthony Heron. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone.
1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for walk well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
0: I have to ex- execute better in the second half, and, um, you know, it just wasn't good enough, and, and we got to be able to put up points in the second half. Defense came up with some big stops, um, so it's on us and offense to be able to go down and score, and,
2: um, you know, it just didn't happen for us today. We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and Odyssey Station. Justin Herbert right there talking to the press after his loss against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Gabe Ramirez, it's Anthony Heron here on 670 The Score talking about some bears and their upcoming opponent with our next guest. And he joins us on the Circus Resort Casino Hotline. Circus Resort Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He is the host of Believe in LA Football, also founder of the LA Football Network, and he's joining us right now. It's Ryan Dirude. Ryan, uh, you know, I I can't imagine that a two and four Chargers team is as bad as their record is. I've been watching the games. I know who they are. They just had some tough teams. Is that how most people in LA are looking at the Chargers or or are they kind of fed up with where they're at right now?
0: Yeah, what's up, fellas? Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, no, out here in L.A., it's uh, pretty fed up with uh, this Chargers team, I think. Uh, You know, the the old saying goes, what you are, what your record is. And, unfortunately, this team, you know, hasn't played good as of late. I thought they they rebounded after two tough losses starting 0-2, and you started to see some momentum building. The defense was improving. The offensive system that Kellen Moore was implementing looked like it was, you know, starting to catch way. And then losing two straight in the fashion they did to the Cowboys, for the offense just absolutely disappeared, and then obviously the Chiefs, for the offense again disappeared. The defense was non-existent in the first half, so definitely uh, fans and and a lot of people around LA are definitely sick of kind of where this team is at. Unfortunately,
1: you mentioned Kellen Moore, and I was actually I was talking about him earlier in the show because of the the Bears' backup quarterback and some questions about arm strength. So I started talking about Kellen Moore in his college career, calling some of his games back when he's at Boise mm-hmm. State. We saw him and, and how he operated offensively in Dallas as the offensive coordinator, play caller for the Cowboys. What are the the differences this season in the Chargers' offense that haven't been able to allow consistency?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I was coming into this season, you know, the big deficiency that everyone thought with this offense was simply Joe Lombardi and play calling on the offensive system he was running just wasn't utilizing the skill set of a Justin Herbert and B even a lot of your skill players to go get Kelly Moore. And the thought was, all right, here comes the explosive plays. Here comes the consistent running game. Uh, here comes all this, you know, fun play calling that we've been lacking the last, you know, two seasons and there's been glimpses of it. We've seen some fun stuff with Darius Davis, you know, the young rookie at a TCU, uh, we've seen a few explosive runs. We saw some you know, great running game against Miami in week one. And then it's been bottled up, obviously, with Eckler being hurt a little bit. That didn't help. But they, they really haven't gotten out of their own way. And the offensive line has regressed uh, mightily since last season. You know, you get Rashawn Slater back from injury, who I think is one of the top tackles in the game. But overall, as a unit, the five have not played consistently. And, you know, they lose Corey Lindsay at center. to Will Clapp is a downgrade. But still, you should be a better unit than what you're seeing. So, I think Keller Moore is still – kind of building and when you look at Justin Herbert you know it's his third offensive system in in four seasons so maybe that has something to do with it but it definitely has not been up the level that the expectation was considering that was deemed as the one crutch was the offensive coordinator you'll get the shiny new one and it really if we're being honest hasn't looked much better than what it did last year.
2: We're talking to Ryan Dyerud here on 670 The Score Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron I'm looking at this Chargers team Ryan and I'm I'm really trying to figure out what the issue is, right? You have a Justin Herbert. You know, you got Keaton Allen playing really well this year. Austin Eckler, despite being injured a couple of games, I mean, he's still who he is. The defense, I mean, they're active. They're, 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 they're all over the place. But, I mean, if you were to point to a couple of things and where you see it, it's because I, I can't imagine it's talent. So, so what do you think yeah. it is for this Chargers squad? Oh man, it's
0: great. It's a great question. It's the million dollar question because you have what you thought is all the pieces at every position. You have a coaching staff that you know is definitely at this point, you know, fans are are fed up with. But coming into this year, it was like, okay, we're gonna give it one more shot. Give it some buy-in. Players really went to bat for Brandon Staley and this entire um, Charger staff. We already talked about bringing in Kellen Moore, so that was gonna fix the offense. It's hard to really pinpoint exactly what's going on. I think a lot of it is execution. You know, you have a lot of talented players, but they're just not playing up to that that level. Justin Herbert most notably, who obviously is a great quarterback and, and it's not shouldn't always be on him, but when you're making fifty two million a year and, and consider a top five talent, you know, you've got to make some of those plays and some of those reads and some of those checks that he's been, you know, lacking or checking out of or not doing consistently. And you look at defensively and it just doesn't seem like coaching players on the same page. I don't know if you guys talked about it pr- before, but they ran a ton of zone in that first half against uh, Kansas City. Brandon Staley in his press conference says, well, we actually ran quite a bit of man, too. And then his own players are saying, no, we ran too much zone. So, I mean, there's definitely some discourse going on there in the locker room, too. If, I don't know if it's trust. I don't know if it's because it's the same old song and dance with this team of, you know, here we go again, you know, two and four. It's it's a, a preseason Super Bowl contender every single year and they seem to kind of not live up to that hype so there's a number of factors but i think most notably it's just not being on the same page these players and their coaching stuff
1: and you mentioned brandon staley there and he's he's a topic that's come up here in chicago for a brief time he was here with the bears and you know, some conversation even here on our station about if he's going to be – if the Bears are going to hire a defensive coach, maybe it should have been a Brandon Staley type who's younger and has this more modern approach and, you know, kind of makes decisions more based off analytics and going for fourth downs. And that was where he made a lot of headlines when he first took over the Chargers were some of those fourth down decisions. Does it Mm -hmm. feel like he in some ways is now uh, a bit more meek uh, about that that aggression that he was known for early on? Is he still – Making some of those types of calls, like analytically based aggressive calls, or has that been throttled back a lot?
0: It's definitely, it's definitely throttled back a bit. I think he's still one of the more aggressive coaches uh, in football, um, but it definitely wasn't, isn't what it was probably in year one, or at least situationally. Like we're not seeing those, you know, go for it on fourth and one on your own eighteen yard line like you did against the Raiders in year one. Uh, which is probably for the better, <laughs> but you know, it's definitely, it's, there's still some aggression there. He talks all the time. That's the mindset of his team. That's who we are. Uh, but they definitely have gotten away from it a little bit. And, you know, there's been opportunities, you know, around midfield when, you know, you'd think they go for it or not. They have a really good young kicker in cam Dicker that they, you know, I think he made a 55 yarder against the chiefs where that may have been one in years past where they go for it. But because knowing the strength of his leg, they, they go for the kick and they, they convert it. So um, I think there's there's some reason for getting a little more conservative. Um, I would like to see him, you know, get a little bit back to that mantra because I think that's what made him who he was, and that's what that's what makes him who he is. And he's kind of lost that a little bit, that luster of, you know, really just not caring what people think and doing what you want. And now it's kind of like, you know, throttled back a little bit. We still see flashes of it, but it's not as consistent. So, you know, long answer for you, but to answer your question, yeah, definitely, it's can it's ten- tempered down, but it's, it still does reside there a little bit.
2: We are talking to host of Believe in L.A. Football and founder of the L.A. Football Network, Ryan DiRude, here on 670 The Score. I'm Gabriel Ramirez, along with Anthony Heron. There was a, a wide receiver that you guys have that you know I watched closely last year in college football, and I thought he was going to make a big impact. And then when Mike Williams went down, I thought he would most certainly was going to step up into that role. But it seems as though, for whatever reason, he can't seem to f- figure things out. Of course, I'm talking about Quinn Johnston, what can you say about him? I mean, is it, is it just, you know, falling out of favor with the coaches? Is, this, is it him not being able to pick up the, the route tree properly? Like, what, what can you say about Quentin Johnston?
0: Yeah, this has been a, a huge point of topic out here in L.A. We talk about it all the time. And, and what I will say, you know, I'm watching the tape back and seeing progression and talking to coaches. It's definitely not anything QJ is doing. I mean, he has, has had great separation. His route tree is there. Um, there's many plays where he's open. For whatever reason, whether it's the way the play design is of the, of the route progression in Justin Herbert's reads, if it's a trust factor, whatever it is, he's just not throwing it to him. I mean, you look at the top receivers, the top rookies, you know, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Puka Nakua, you know, all those guys are 40-plus targets. Quentin Johnson is 15, and it's not for a lack of getting open. It's not for a lack of, you know, doing his job and, and filling in his role. For whatever reason, Justin Herbert's just not throwing the ball. Now, there was one instance last week, where there was a route combination that it was a right-to-left um, uh, flow for Justin Herbert, and so he locked on Keenan Allen, threw it to him, even though QJ was his third option, was actually wide open. So I think it's a lot of that where just the route progressions are having him lower down on the progression line. Um, but it's definitely not, it's not that he's not showing up. It's not that he's not doing his job. He's getting separation. I, I do think eventually it'll break through. I think eventually we'll see more of him. We finally saw a nice twenty yard grab last week, so I know fans are clamoring for it and everyone likes starting to throw around that, that bust label, but you know, receiver's the most most uh, contingent position on everyone else, so you can't really do a whole lot if you're not getting the ball thrown to you.
1: Khalil Mack is a player who's still very near and dear to a bunch of Bears fans' hearts for what he was able to accomplish over a couple of seasons here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it felt like early in the season he was kinda non existent for the Chargers, and then he had that six-sack game against the Raiders, and you know, folks are wondering, is he back to the, the old Khalil Mag, or is he still just old Khalil Mag at this point, being on, on the other side of 30 by several years here? What have you seen from the the Chargers version of Khalil Mack this particular season?
0: Yeah, this season, I've seen a, a rejuvenated Khalil Mack. I think he's, he's played uh, certainly better than he did over the course of last year. I think he started off really hot last year as well. I think he had a 3 sack game against the Raiders also in week one. So, uh, obviously, some bad blood there against the Raiders, right? <laughs> right. So, but, um, but, no, I think he's played great. And, you know, Joey Bosa has been banged up. And Joey Bosa is just kind of a shell of himself. He hasn't been the same Joey Bosa that we're across. He's still a very good player. I don't want to sound disrespectful by any means. You know, still there, but he's just not on that Bosa level we've seen. They had a young kid in Tui Tui Pelotu. They drafted him the second round. It's really surprised a lot of people. But I think Khalil Mack has almost... Has almost kind of fed off that youth of Thuli and and found some youth in himself, and he's been one of the most consistent defensive players, probably one of the only consistent defensive players on this roster. And, and it's been good to see kind of his rejuvenation this season.
2: Yeah, the defense. I mean, you know, you want you would love a little bit more productivity out of them, but man, you guys just had a tough schedule this year. It's not as though you've, you've had some kind of cakewalk and you're two and you know two wins into the season because you know the team's playing just extremely poorly. I mean, Justin Herbert had his bad, worst game of the season. Uh, this past Sunday but for the most part I mean I feel like you know he's still solid what are, are people still in love with, with Justin Herbert out there and looking at him as the golden child or is he starting to get a little side eye out there as well
0: you guys need to come out here that way and start you know talking people off the ledge this is great all <laughs> the, the positivity you're bringing I, I love that so um no I mean definitely no one turned on Justin Herbert the, the thing about this Chargers fan base you know right wrong or indifferent is that you know, their quarterbacks are they're, they're with them thick and through. You go back to Dan Fouts and obviously Phillip Rivers and now Justin Herbert, and they can do no wrong. That's their guy. And uh, so definitely there's no turning on them. You, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more, you know, improvement and progression over these games. But, I mean, you guys are absolutely right. They have played our murderers row schedule. They've been in every game. So it's unfortunate they haven't been able to put all together. And I think what this team is lacking is just a full four quarters of complimentary football, which is obviously easier said than done. I mean, that's what every team strives for. But speaking specifically of that Chiefs game, you look at the first half, the offense is clicking, right? 17 points, 230-plus yards. Herbert's moving the ball well. The running game is working. The defense is existent giving up 300-plus yards, 24 points. And then you go to the second half, defense completely shuts the Chiefs out until late in that first quarter. They, they couldn't move the ball at all. But then the offense couldn't do anything. didn't score a single point in the second half. So when this team can put it all together, they'll be a real dangerous team. But until then, you know, that's why they're a 2-4 football team.
1: And from one two-win team to another two-win team facing each other on Sunday Night Football, there were a number of rumors that perhaps this game would or could get flexed out of it. NBC, the NFL, they decided to stick with it. But it's not going to be mm-hmm. Justin Fields at quarterback for the Bears. And so with Tyson Bagent behind center with Justin Herbert and all those expectations continue behind center for the Chargers, is this a game that Chargers fandom anticipates should be some sort of a cakewalk is there a perception of the Bears that this is kind of a an easy road for the Chargers heading into Sunday night.
0: Well, speaking of Chargers fans specifically, I think they've learned over many years of heartbreak that no game is ever a cakewalk. And any any Chargers game you want, there's usually the cardiac doctor on speed dial because there's always uh, it comes down to one possession. I think the stats show they've played what six one-possession games already this season, or some or five maybe out of the six have been one-possession games. So uh, I don't think it'll be a cakewalk. I think fans realize that. Uh, you know, Tyson time out in Chicago is a lot of fun. I got to say, my, my managing editor here at the Football Network went to the same school as Tyson. So he's, he's fired up ah. seeing this kid get his shot and, you know, go 1-0 last week. So, um, yeah, no cakewalk. I mean, it's still professional football. You still got to shoot him up. It's 11-on-11, 11 11, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And anytime you get the cities of Chicago and L.A., you
2: can't flex out of that game, so it's going to be a good year. So your 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 coworkers, is one of the only few people that know where Shepherd College College is because most of us Big. have zero idea where that is. Ryan, uh, I'm going to be exactly. out there next. I'm going to be out there uh, this weekend. I uh, go out there with a bunch of my family. We, we're like 13 deep, so we're going to be uh, in SoFi Stadium watching the whole thing. Uh, so I'll be excited to be out there. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious about the Believe in LA football and, and the LA football network. Tell me a little bit about that. And how people can uh, hear you all the way out here in Chicago?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. When you're out here, let me know. I'll, I'll tell you some good taco spots you can check out uh, here in LA. But yeah, you know, appreciate that. The LA Football Network, you know, we cover obviously the, all, the four LA teams. Uh, rough weekend last week with obviously SC and and uh, the Rams also dropping ones. But um, Lafbnetwork.com is the website. Uh, Lafb Network is is everywhere. Our Twitter, our show airs out here on ESPN Radio as well on Fridays, and you know anywhere. You get your podcast. You just search LA football and you can find us.
2: Make sure you follow him at Ryan Dirude. That's D-Y-R-U-D-L-A-F-B on Twitter. Ryan, I'm about to follow you right now, so shoot me those t- uh, taco wrecks because uh, <laughs> I'm most certainly going to need those. All right, brother? Have a good one, yes, man, sir. and enjoy your weekend. Uh, but I'm most seriously, am following you right now, so hit me
0: up. Hey, guys, I appreciate you. Have a uh, safe travels, and I uh, will talk to you guys soon.
2: All right, awesome. Ryan Dirude. Uh, host of the Believe in, Fo- in L.A. Football and, and founder of the L.A. Football Network. Got his hands full out there. Uh, but, and <clears throat> I'll tell you, my if there's a number one thing we've all put a list together about, it's taco spots. Yeah, they got those, so, man. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'll tell you one thing. One time I went to, we were watching, this is when I went to go watch the Chargers when they were in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I went out there, and I remember going to a taco spot out there, and I was like, it was like, because I, we only wanted to go to a hood spot, right? Like, I didn't want to go to no fancy. Yeah. Like, take me where I feel uncomfortable walking around. <laughs> and so I get to this spot. Take me
1: where somebody's gonna pull a weapon on me. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. T- take me where I gotta like look over my shoulder real fast, uh, at least three times. Not once. Right. Not once. That's not fun. Right. Three uh, times. Uh, uh, yeah. So I walk into this place and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, let me get a, let me get some tacos. Let me get a, a little bit of sour cream, a little bit of lettuce. Lady or lady didn't know what the hell I was. Talking. I was like I was speaking a foreign language. She's like, what? Nah, we put a salsa on top of this thing and that's all you get. And so it's like, oh, okay. I really am in the hood. Don't, so, yeah, they don't, if you don't they get don't. your boozy
1: self out of here, man. So,
2: so, Chicago Tacos, you know, we do things a little different out here. Right? Uh-huh. So, out there, they just put a little salsa on top of San Diego. So, I'm hoping for, for LA to be a bit different. I've been to LA a couple times, and but I'm trying to think. When I, when I went to LA, it was just like hanging out with friends from like yeah. an internship. It wasn't like, I wasn't kicking it. I've never uh-huh. gone
1: to a club or a bar in LA. What are so. your expectations for the stadium? Because, I mean, it looks gorgeous on TV. I haven't been there yet.
2: I expect it to be the best stadium I've ever been to. Uh-huh. Not as underwhelming as Jerry's World last year. <laughs> that was <laughs> underwhelming, bro. I, I really thought I was going hey, me. Spectacle. It was, like,
1: too big. What was the, the, it the just, kind of
2: vibe? Okay, okay, okay. Pros. There's a Walmart across the street. So if you're tailgating, you just got to walk across the street.
1: That's Okay. I wouldn't not, expect you to leave with Walmart as well, the, the pro. Well, as because
2: as a, as a tailgate pro, it's very rare you get anything within walking distance ah, so if you okay. need anything like you', you it's, it's a run you know what uh-huh. I'm saying so yeah. that's that's one two like the uh, the exterior wasn't my jam you know and then when you got in it was like enormous but it just looked like a big open space okay you know what I'm yeah. saying like it's a big open space with a big TV and they're like look at how crazy this stadium is. <laughs> And you're but like, not a lot uh, of kind of personality. Yeah. You're not a lot of not for me at least. It. Not for yeah. me at least. So, yeah. so so with SoFi, I just hear how technologically advanced it is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to just seeing the spectacle. The other thing too, though, and this is why maybe we shouldn't be the best judges of stadiums, we're faded by the time we get in there.
1: You know what I'm saying? Let's be
2: very clear. <laughs> by halftime, everyone is asleep. Like you gotta wake people up. You know what I'm saying? And then by the end of the third quarter, like half the people are like, hey, bro. Catch me in, catch me in the in the bus. You know what right. I'm saying? Or catch me right. by the tailgate. I'll be uh-huh. sleeping out there because either the Bears are getting their ass whooped, <laughs> right, and so you want to get out of there anyway, or it, you're just faded and you need your nap. And so uh-huh. that's how it is. All right, <laughs> we got one last segment to go before we get up out of here, man. Hang out with us. It's Anthony Hare and it's Gabe Ramirez. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
1: You know what Tuesday means? Free tacos. Tacos. After the end of a good fight.
2: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Gabe Ramirez, 670 The Score. Oh, we're jumping around, all right. As we only got one more segment left, Anthony Heron and I
1: hanging out uh, and... Where are you at this weekend? I'm actually here. Well, in Evanston. Uh, Maryland is coming to town to play Northwestern. So I'll be there on Saturday. Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Central Time on the Big Ten Network. Had the broadcast over the weekend in Iowa City. And I took a little little bit of a different approach than I normally do because usually, well, as you know, I'm usually with you guys in the studio for Unleashed and now hit town, uh, hit the road, to head to whatever college town I got to get to. I usually do that Friday late afternoon, Friday evening or whatever, after we finish up uh, getting the, the show ready over at Fox 32. But I left Thursday night last week. A couple of factors. One, I had the, the you know, show was on NBC, and they just, they love production meetings at NBC. They love uh, a lot of preparation leading into us. So there's all kinds of meetings and stuff. Uh, but then b- to be able to meet with the coaches in person on Friday, uh, I went ahead and left on Thursday, got to town, and then also just going back to my alma mater, going back to Iowa City, my old stomping grounds, a few hours away as a drive. So I went there Thursday evening. and was able to go hang out with some friends, have some dinner, have a couple of beverages, did that Thursday night. I actually got up and went and checked out – I don't know how much you've watched Caitlin Clark, the, the player of the year for oh, yeah. women's basketball. But went and checked them out Friday morning over at Carver. Just went and, uh, you know, had the – Asked the coach if I could come check out practice, Lisa Bluter. So I went and checked out Coach Bluter and Caitlin Clark, Iowa women's basketball Friday morning. Then went and met with the coaches and players there on a Friday evening before you know we, we did our thing taping Bears Unleashed later in the day on Friday. And we had a wild finish at Kinnick Stadium on Saturday. I don't know if you saw the way the game between Iowa and Minnesota played out where it was 12-10 it was to 10 in the fourth quarter. And Minnesota punted the ball away to Iowa with about two minutes left in the game. Iowa forces a punt. Minnesota punts it to this guy, Cooper DeGene. He's one of the top defensive backs and punt returners in the country. Just a few weeks ago, Cooper DeGene had actually run a punt back to, to basically win the game against Michigan State late in the game that was at Kinnick Stadium a few weeks ago. So he had the same scenario come up on Saturday where they punt the ball to him. He fields it off the bounce. So they kind of try to kick it towards the sideline to keep it away from him. Punk punt coverage team is storming down there. Dejean, as he's running over towards the ball, points both hands towards the football. The ball bounces. But as he's running at the ball pointing, it was really easy to miss in live action. Hand up. I Actually, I missed it in live action myself. He starts to wave his left arm, basically giving not an over-the-head fair catch signal, But given kind of the – you ever see the the punt returns where they kind of – they start waving the arms to tell everybody to get away from it. Yeah, of course. Because it's a ball that might bounce in any given direction. You don't want one of your teammates on the punt return to get hit with it because the punt coverage team will be able to field it if somebody gets hit by it. That happened to Iowa a few weeks ago in a game against Penn State. One of the guys, one of the blockers on their punt return team got hit with the football. Penn State recovers it. Iowa didn't get the ball. So DeGene starts waving his left arm as he's going over towards the football It wasn't seen in live action. The official did throw a beanbag on the ground just to show, like, here's the spot of the ball that's being fielded at. Then DeGene, where he's got – there's, like, six guys from Minnesota who have him pinned in towards the sideline. He feels the ball off the bounce, spins away from the first guy, makes a little stutter move, and then bursts past the other, like, four or five guys from Minnesota up the sideline, just barely stays in bounds. Then he cuts back towards the middle of the field, weaves away from a couple other guys – 80,000 people at Kinnick are just going crazy and They're throwing popcorn and water in the air. Just, they just think like this most magical thing ever has just happened where Cooper DeGene has given the Hawkeyes the lead over the Gophers in this rivalry game for this big pig uh, statue, Florida Rosedale. And, you know, Minnesota hasn't won it in like nine years. They think Cooper DeGene just won the game with a punt return touchdown. The officials go to review. They initially start to review to see if he stayed in bounds while they're going through that review process to see if he stayed in bounds. Then it is also noticed that he's giving this waving motion with his hand. Now, the confusion is and it's still come up after the game a little bit. I've heard from plenty of Hawkeye fans who are still frustrated with it afterwards. He did not wave his hand overhead in a fair catch, like a true fair cat sort of way. But the officials did end up ruling that he gave an invalid motion fair catch signal as he waved his hand sideways kind of the what we use the term poison or peter in right. football when it really happens all the time and you know telling everybody to get away from the ball they they added this rule i don't know handful of years ago sometime in the last five to seven years not only the fair catch over the head means you can't return it but also the poison or peter kind of get away from it wave means you can't return the football at that point it's not a penalty but it is an invalid fair catch signal so you just have to get the ball at the spot of where you fielded at. So they rule no touchdown, take it off the board. Iowa gets the ball back there at the 46-yard line where he first fielded it. Now, mind you, there's like a minute and 47 seconds left in the game. Iowa's got a timeout remaining, and their offense is getting the football. They're only trailing by two. So all they got to do is get in field goal range, let alone having a chance to actually score a touchdown here. Iowa came up short. Offense couldn't move the football. Minnesota wins the game. But in the interim... You got Hawkeye fans, when they take the touchdown off the board, folks throwing stuff onto the field at Kinnick. Like, it looks like, man, are they about to storm the field, try to, you know, try to do something to these officials or whatever. So they had to get the crowd calmed down. They restart the game. It was a really wild finish. And, of course, people were rather displeased about it afterwards. But, I mean, me being me, I'm not about to start making stuff up. On TV, No matter how much I love Iowa football, I'm doing my job, man. I'm calling the game. I've called a bunch of Iowa games over the years. We had a – actually, a, I think I retweeted. We actually had a really nice rating, too. We had a couple million people uh, watching the game at its peak. So, it was, a, it was a fun game to call to be back in Iowa City. Unfortunately, the Hawkeyes did not come out on the winning end, but they'll be okay. They got a lot of games left <laughs> to play. They're going to make a bowl. They'll win some more. They might win the Big Ten West Division. But it was always a, it's always a good time to be back at, at Kinnick calling the action.
2: Yeah, I was, I, I, saw, I saw that game. I saw that play specifically, and it most certainly looked like, hey, get out the way. Don't touch it. And then like, oh, oh here I go. And then like a mm-hmm. oh, pickup. And he made some really nice moves. Oh, man. Some he's, really he's nice moves.
1: He's a def- definite baller.
2: All right. Uh, Got to thank some of the ballers that were hanging out with us today. Adam Rank uh, from the NFL Network. Darnell Mayberry from The Athletic. And Ryan DiRude from Believe Network hanging out. I uh, want to thank my producer, our producer Tyler Buterball today. It's all right. You can't say, you can't curse back there cuz you didn't have it ready to go. And then I think I'm going to hang out with you for a little bit longer. But that's all right. Tyler Buterball. Uh, that's Tyler Buterbaugh. Uh, Buterbaugh. <laughs> Perfect. Buterball is all one name. <laughs> Buterball. Uh, the newly married Tyler Buterball. Really? Okay. Yeah, just got married, man. Tyler,
1: I didn't know that. Tyler. Yeah,
2: just got hitched. Got hitched, had a fresh there suit on. Check him out on on Twitter, man. Look great. Uh, Alright, mi gente, that means my people Hasta la proxima, that means until next time BetMGM Tonight is up next For Gabriel Ramirez, for Anthony Herron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score
1: That was awesome
2: <laughs> That was f***ing awesome <laughs> Tune in is the
0: audio Platform with something for everyone News In order to secure convictions
1: in a court of law It is essential that we conclusively Sports clock at 4, Doncic.